0: Hello, I'm Oscar Boyd, the host of Deep Dive, and this week we're trying something new. 2020 has been defined by one story, COVID-19, and we wanted to put together some kind of retrospective of the year, but one that wasn't just a straight look at the news. So I turned to Japan Times editors Alyssa I. Smith and Sean McKenna, who are here to help us look back at how Japanese pop culture fared in a year when concerts were cancelled, TV production was put on hold, and most of us were confined to our homes. This is episode one of a four-part series that will come out daily from now until Thursday 24th of December at 7pm Japan time. We hope you enjoy it. Let us know what you think by reaching out to us on Twitter at Japan Deep Dive or giving us a review on your favourite podcasting app. Before I pass over to Sean and Alyssa, just a quick reminder that we're still on the lookout for your stories of what brought you joy in 2020. For instructions, head back to the last episode after you've finished listening to this one. We've had a great response so far, so thank you to all of you who've submitted your stories. Without further ado, here's Alyssa R. Smith and Sean McKenna and episode one of a series we're calling Recultured.
1: Hey Sean. Hey, Alyssa. Sean, 2020 has not been one of the better years of the 21st century.
2: You're not kidding. I mean, I thought that year when all the celebrities died was tough.
1: hmm David Bowie and Prince? Yeah, that was tough. But 2016 was nothing compared to this year.
2: So, you know, one of the downsides of 2020 is that we don't get to sit next to each other anymore because yeah. we both work from home now.
1: I know. I took over Culture Content for the Japan Times earlier this year, a job you did for about 10 years, right? Yes. I I really miss our chats about what's going on in the world of entertainment.
2: Yeah, they were simpler times. And that's why when I got the invite to be on This Year in Culture Wrap-Up Podcast, I was just happy to be able to talk about film and TV and music with you again.
1: Yeah, All at a socially acceptable distance, of course. Of course. I'm Japan Times Culture Editor, Alyssa Smith.
2: And I'm Features Editor, Sean McKenna.
1: And this is ReCultured, a four-part look at the effects of COVID-19 on Japanese pop culture. In this episode, our dreams for 2020 go up in smoke as a -a once-in-a-century pandemic spreads around the world. So
2: check your temperature, wash your hands one more time, and join us as we relive some of the more significant pop culture moments of the year.
1: Part 1. Collapse.
2: So Alyssa... Where do you want to kick off our conversation about the nightmare called 2020?
1: Well, to me, there's only one place to start, and it just so happens to be my favorite part of Japanese culture this year. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about a TV show whose year kind of mirrored the general collapse of life as we knew it pre-coronavirus. Okay. Okay. Let me take you to a place where there's supposed to be no script, a place where DJs and models start flirtatious romances on comfy couches, and where we see the inner workings of Japanese life played out in modern millennial glory.
0: Uh,
2: you're talking about Terrace House, aren't you? You know it. And why are we starting off here?
1: So when I think back to the start of the year, back to when bats could only give you rabies, (laughs) (laughs) I think Terrace House is what Japan wanted to be seen as. Young, beautiful, rich, cultured, hugely popular, and with Olympic glory on the horizon. The show was literally scheduled to run up to when the summer games started. And then, like so many things we've seen this year, it collapsed.
2: So Alyssa, you're one of our go-to Terrace House experts, mm-hmm. and last year you started writing recaps of the show with our colleague Tom Hannaway. So can you give us a crash course on the show and like what we need to know about it?
1: Yeah, sure. So Terrace House is a reality show on Netflix produced by Fuji TV, where six strangers move into a luxe house somewhere in Japan. And the show basically follows them through their daily lives, usually with a focus on how they navigate their careers and various romances
2: yeah, so I'm going to play the Gen X card right now, okay? Isn't this just the real world?
1: <laughs> Maybe if the real world took an ambient, got it <laughs> Terrace House became an international phenomenon, thanks in part to the understated drama guiding everything forward over the course of five seasons, the housemates rarely raised their voices at one another, let alone their fists. My terrace house buddy Tom can elaborate:
3: I think the biggest thing that really grabs people is that it's kind of a quote-unquote, real reality show. In the show, I mean, they're just sitting around, making dinner, talking about their day, overly obsessing about small moments when someone does some kind of social faux pas or says something kind of out of character or brings up something that kind of surprises everyone.
2: The show could also reveal new angles on Japanese society, which is part of the reason Farah Hasnain, a freelance contributor to the Japan Times, became such a big fan.
4: So the greatest thing about Terrace House is the minority representation. Um, When you turn on the TV in Japan, you would have this impression that Japan is a racially homogenized society. And while it can be to an extent, there are pockets of minority groups that are all over the country, no matter where you are, even outside of Tokyo. But you don't see that on the screen. And with Terrace House, they humanize the experience of being mixed race. They have them speaking in Japanese, and you just get to see people living together and trying to navigate their life as, well, mostly young people.
1: The show's got massive appeal both domestically and overseas. Let me give you a few headlines from over the years read by a production team. GQ
0: This is the Netflix reality show for people who hate reality shows. The Guardian. Terrace House, the must-watch Japanese reality show in which nothing happens.
1: The New Yorker. The genial voyeurism of the Japanese reality show
4: Terrace House.
1: The common thread here is a calmness that the show is seen to have that contrasts with most reality shows in the West, where it's all about the drama and over-the-top theatrics. That's something that also appealed to many of its stars and what we heard from Kai Kobayashi, who was in the house on the most recent season.
5: I used to live in at my um, friend's house I would go to like a night shift, you know, just to work um, part time, and then I would come back and my friend's awake, and so he's like watching Terrace House, and so I'm watching Terrace House, and we're just watching Terrace House like, like forever, you know, like, <laughs> and so that that was a fun time for me, and I, I, I guess I was like interested in in it because I thought it was like the only. Um, thing out there that felt like real to me in a sense where it's not like super staged super fake and uh, some some people I thought they were like genuine and pretty cool so I thought it was like something that that looked fun.
2: What's funny is, over all the years where I was editing the culture pages and seeing what connected abroad, it tended to be the wacky, weird stuff that got people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. It's surprising that something pretty much universally described as a show where nothing happens can connect with so many people.
1: Yeah. Cool Japan becomes calm Japan.
2: Oh, how's zen! <laughs> so, after four successful seasons, the newest season of Terrace House started in May 2019, it was called Tokyo twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, and it was all about the build up to the summer Olympics. I jumped on board for a few episodes this season. Actually, after reading your recaps, Alyssa.
1: Ah, thank you. No problem. Yeah, this season the show seemed like it had been recruited in a larger nationwide drive to hype up the Olympics. The opening sequence even featured a shot that lingered on the national stadium. Sean, what did you think of the show?
2: Well, exactly what you said. It was calm Japan. Mm. And considering the way politics was going at the time, Brexit, the Hong Kong protests, just like everything in America.
1: Mm, America.
2: <laughs> it was just what the doctor ordered.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you notice that this year's cast also had a more international blend with people like Vivi from Russia, Pepe from Italy, along with biracial individuals like the wrestler Hanakimura. Kimura?
2: I did notice that. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like Terrace House was on the rise. Something mentioned by Eric Margolis, a journalist and translator based out in Nagoya, who wrote about Terrace House for the New York Times earlier this year. Before all this happened, I think we were at the beginning of what Terrace House was going to become. You know, I think a lot we've seen uh, that Japanese pop culture, you know, has a very high ceiling internationally in terms of how popular it can get. And I don't think Terrace was at its ceiling, wasn't even close to its ceiling uh,
6: yet. And I think now that's, it's sort of all gone.
2: So out of the house and back into the really real world, Mm -hmm. I think the first moment I properly woke up to the idea of coronavirus being an issue for Japan was with the arrival of the Diamond Princess. It was a cruise none of its passengers expected. Cut short, the Diamond Princess was quarantined for nearly a month in Japan as coronavirus spread through its bowels. The ship arrived in early February and pretty quickly it turned into a bit of an international incident with almost four thousand people trapped on board.
1: Well that's definitely not what Japan was hoping for pre-Olympics.
2: <laughs> not at all. And I have to say, I'm okay, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It was around this time that I started making plans. Oh. Yeah, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a natural-born warrior. <laughs> and after you watch movies like Contagion and World War Z, the collapse of society isn't really like Unimaginable, by any means?
1: hmm Yeah, a-, a lot of people were concerned. At the end of February, you started noticing the panic buying of toilet paper and face masks here. I grew up in Japan, and it reminded me of the aftermath of an earthquake. But this was different because an earthquake doesn't down the entire country. You can count on help coming in from somewhere. So with the arrival of COVID-19, it seemed like we were all hunkering down for the long haul.
2: And then when you're hunkered down, you want to relax— And what better way to relax than with a bit of Terrace House? Exactly. In the world of the show, where the episodes are released a few weeks after they're filmed, coronavirus wasn't even an issue yet. It was like this window into a maskless past.
1: But on the set of the show, conversations were starting to be had about the coronavirus, as Violetta Polt, better known as Vivi, a Russian member of the house, told us.
6: We had some talks because I was thinking that I'm going to go to Russia and see my grandma before, like, something's happened. So I think we were talking, but it was like, like not, not like a joke, but not that serious. No, no one thought it's going to be that serious. I think no one could imagine how like, big it's going to be.
1: More after the break.
2: Hey, Lisa, you're something of a gourmand, aren't you?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: What do you do when you're in the mood for some really good food?
1: I go to one of Tokyo's top restaurants.
2: Hmm, that's kind of hard to do right now. What if you don't want to leave the comfort of your own home?
1: Oh, well, then I don't know.
2: Well, then check out Foodie, Tokyo's first gourmet restaurant delivery service. Oh? Foodie delivers from a diverse selection of Tokyo's finest restaurants, most of which have never been available for delivery before.
1: Wow, really? What can I get on Foodie?
2: You can get all sorts, and the list is growing. Some of the favorites include restaurants like Nobu Tokyo and the Oak Door Steakhouse. But it's not just what you can get, it's also where you can get it. Foodie delivers to your home, hotel, office, business party, and even picnics in the park.
1: Picnics in the park?
2: <laughs> picnics in the park. I know you like picnics in the park. I do. So this festive season, go to www.food-e.jp for the best fine dining delivery options in Tokyo. Premium dining. Now at your fingertips and available exclusively at www.food-e.jp.
1: The link is in the episode notes.
2: Okay, Alyssa, pop quiz. Do you remember what the big cultural sensation in Japan was before the state of emergency?
1: Sean, life before the state of emergency feels like forever ago.
2: Okay, I'll give you a hint. Think of a pair of blue jeans.
1: Uh, no.
2: Okay, how about a more obvious hint? Think of a crocodile in a pair of blue jeans.
1: Okay. Do you mean hyakunichi go otherwise known as the crocodile that dies in 100 days?
2: Yes! Huh. So this was a Twitter comic created by the artist Yuki Kikuchi about a humanoid croc who simply went about his life going to work and shopping and hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. But, as the end of each strip reminded the reader, this croc was going to croak.
1: Uh-oh. Spoiler alert. He did.
2: <laughs> anyway, I bring it up because this is one of those little cultural hits that in any other year would have really taken off. Mm-hmm. There was this real feeling of potential among Japanese artists at the time that with the world's eyes on them in the run-up to the Olympics, anything could be that breakout international hit. Terrace House was an example of that. Like, who would have thought that Western audiences would have taken to a show where people did nothing all the time?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Alyssa, we were prepping for a moment.
1: <laughs> are you Are you doing jazz hands? Maybe. Okay, I like it. Um, well... TV was starting to take on athletic overtures, too. Actually, it already started in 2019, when Japanese national broadcaster NHK chose the 1964 Tokyo Olympics as the backdrop for its year-long tiger drama, Idaten. At the beginning of 2020, you were seeing a slew of ads using the forthcoming games as a hook, and even children's programming featured songs about the joy of sport.
2: Every industry was looking towards it. Aya Nogami, a freelance international marketer working with the Japanese music industry, tells us a bit more about it from their perspective.
1: Um, with the Tokyo Olympics coming to Japan, I felt that a lot more artists are looking at, abroad. They were excited about the media's coming into Japan. Um, a lot of people were planning to do stuff, interna- not just domestically, but internationally with the Olympics and with all the attention coming to Japan.
2: But with the coronavirus spreading all around the world, suddenly there was this big question mark hanging over the Olympics. Would it go ahead this year or not? The government really wanted it to, but I think everybody had their doubts.
1: Mm. It's actually weird just how fast everything started to collapse. I think everything kind of started at the end of February when the former Prime Minister Abe, before the national emergency, when he asked the entertainment business to refrain from having big events and stuff. And when the big shows were canceled on that day. Japan Times culture writer Patrick Saint-Michel experienced the cancellations firsthand when he was covering a pair of concerts by the band Perfume.
3: Yeah, I was invited to see the J-pop group Perfume perform at Tokyo Dome on February 25th. That was right as cases were starting to spike across Japan for the first time. We got to the venue, and staff were outside taking everyone's temperatures. Uh, Don't see that at most shows. And then, at some point in the night, we got the news that a positive case had been detected in a person who had gone to an arena show in Kyushu two weeks earlier, And the next day, uh, Prime Minister Abe, he asked the entire entertainment industry to just stop holding these big events. And the second perfume show at Tokyo Dome, it was just canceled, just like that. You know, looking back on it, in a way, the music industry was really responsible in how seriously it took this threat and actually acted on it right away.
2: Actually, it all reminded me of the concert cancellations that followed the Great East Japan earthquake of 2011. Mm. Shows just started canceling everywhere, and summer festivals started postponing.
1: Mm-hmm. COVID 19 affected a lot of performance related businesses, too, not just the artists. Here's Lauren Rose Coker, one of the founders of e ticketing platform Zyco. Um, in February, we started seeing a ton of shows get canceled. And that was the first time that we had to do massive refunds to to hundreds and thousands of people. And and we noticed a real cash flow issue as all the future events were canceled, all the previous four or five months of sales were refunded to customers. And so by early, mid-February, which is always a slow month for events, there's not so many events that happen in January and February. But it was uh, beyond, like, the normal sort of slow month. It was was completely—events had stopped. Concerts and club events weren't the only things changing course quickly, though, as Patrick mentioned, they were among the first to act responsibly. As the number of infected in Japan kept rising, more and more corners of the entertainment industry started closing up shop, from TV shows to anime studios. Slowly but surely, over the course of a month, pop culture came to a halt.
2: Alyssa, this is when things start to get a bit grim. The cancellations were a real sign of this virus being something serious. But what I really remember from that period is the day I heard that Tom Hanks and his wife Rita Wilson had tested positive for COVID. Thankfully, they were able to beat it. But I think the fact that a celebrity of that stature caught the virus made it suddenly feel much more real for people who hadn't been exposed to it yet. Mm -hmm. That coupled with the fact that all these other things were happening so quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in Japan, the celebrity figure that drove the reality of COVID home was Ken Shimura, an actor and comedian, who unfortunately passed away from pneumonia due to COVID-19 on March
0: 29th.
2: Ken Shimura was a household name, and his death almost certainly served as a catalyst for the rest of the entertainment industry to stop trying to pretend everything was normal. I think for a lot of people, his death was probably more important than the Olympics being postponed.
1: Yeah, and this is where I think we should get back to Terrace House, because the drama-free life we'd seen on that reality show for years also took an ugly turn, one that it wouldn't be able to recover from
2: that after this short break. Hey, so the last part of this episode does discuss suicide— So if you're not comfortable with listening to that, then please feel free to come back and join us for tomorrow's episode. And if the issues discussed here do affect you in any way, and you'd like to talk about it with someone, we'll put the contact details of Tell in the show notes. Alyssa?
1: So, I think a lot of viewers of Terrace House felt that something really changed in the show after an episode aired on March 31st called Case of the Costume Incident. Basically, one of the participants, Kai Kobayashi, who we heard from earlier, shrinks an expensive custom-made wrestling uniform belonging to another participant, Hana Kimura. And there's this confrontation between the two of them, in which Hana screams at him for being ungrateful, lazy, and useless. Mm -hmm. After that particular incident, you could see this negativity start to ooze out all over Twitter. Users attacked Hana on Twitter because she yelled at Kai, and some of those attacks started to get really sexist and racist.
2: Yeah. Do you think the coronavirus anxiety could have had something to do with it?
1: It could have, but then again, Twitter can be so harsh. Uh The incident didn't get that much attention from the general public, though, because the episode was aired a few days after the Summer Olympics were postponed due to the pandemic, and everyone's focus was on that. Eventually, on April 13th, the staff working on Terrace House announced that the filming of the season would be halted to prevent the spread of COVID-19 among the cast and crew. And three days later, on April 16th, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe declared a nationwide state of emergency.
6: Yeah,
2: that's when it all became official. I think there'd been a growing sense of dread in most industries that this moment would come. But that speech marked the point where everyone realized, you know, life can't go on as normal. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stay inside and limit in-person contact as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I actually saw a lot of early reactions to Terrace House production going on hiatus, being along the lines of, oh, what am I going to binge now? Right. With the state of emergency here in Japan and lockdowns around the world, people were really looking for new ways to entertain themselves. I think it's easy to forget that with a show like Terrace House that these are real people they're filming, and that COVID affected the people involved with it as well. The show ending and the wider impacts of COVID presented serious problems for some of its cast, as Farah explains.
4: Even before they stopped airing uh, Terrace House due to COVID, or rather stopped filming, a lot of the members started going through hard times, uh, especially Hana Kimura. I remember in the final episodes that were aired from Terrace House, uh, she specifically said that her pay got a significant cut, uh, she was no longer competing, and she wasn't even training with her wrestling team. So if it wasn't for COVID-19... Uh, I'm not necessarily saying, oh, this would have never happened, but um, she would have had the support system.
2: What Farah is hinting at there is the fact that on May 23rd, Hannah Kimura reportedly took her own life. Do you remember how you heard the news?
1: I do, and it was an awful moment, but I'd rather let Vivi, one of the participants we heard from earlier, speak about her experiences as she was so much closer to Hannah.
6: I woke up in the morning the next day and... I just just realized like I had some calls, missed calls, and I called back uh, Emika and she told me and I was in my bed, uh, you know, like half sleeping. And when she told me, Emika, it's just, you know, you don't cry, you don't do, you, you cannot move. You just cannot realize just like, like there is a person and the other day there is no other person. And 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 you lived with that person. You would talk every day. You like I mean we were sleeping like almost in the same bed for months. Yeah, it's it was just too much.
2: It's really tough hearing Vivi describe that moment, how she heard the news from Emika Mizukoshi, one of the other Terrace House members. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say that one of the cruelest things about COVID nineteen is that it doesn't just attack you physically. It also attacks your social connections, leading to this real problem with loneliness that has made life so much harder. Mm
1: -hmm. The fallout from Hana's death resulted in the calm facade of Terrace House crumbling. This used to be a show where nothing happens, but now it was the show where too much happened at once and none of it was good. After her death, Fuji TV and Netflix canceled the current season entirely, and there's no signs of the franchise coming back anytime soon. They even removed the last few episodes of the season from Netflix. This was something that made Vivi quite upset. It's just you know part of our lives,
6: and we cannot just deny it. And I really don't like that they canceled it on ethics, so they just delete everything. And it's like, it's like we will never be like existed, you know.
1: So and ha- including Hannah. It soon came out that staff were allegedly more active in making sure certain things and conflicts played out on screen. Things were perhaps more scripted than they let on. Kai, who was at the center of the fight with Hana that spawned so much Twitter hate, didn't see it quite like that.
5: I don't think they would, like, nudge you or, like, force you in a a way, but they would try and convince you, you know, why their way of thinking is better, I guess,
1: Vivi said something similar. So to be honest, they
6: never tell you what to do, but they ask you, uh, like, what do you feel? How do you feel? What are you gonna do? Like, when you gonna do that? Like, if you wanna do something, when you gonna do that? Because they want to film it. They want to the camera be in the right position. They want like the voice to be like. Like, it's a Netflix show, so they
1: needed to. You, you needed that show to be in a good quality. But Hana's mother, Kyoko Kimura, filed a complaint with a broadcast ethics watchdog claiming that the show was edited to present her daughter as a violent woman, and that the instructions of the program staff had led to Hana being cyberbullied.
2: The death of Hana Kimura also prompted a broader discussion in Japan, and underlined a bigger problem of cyberbullying in Japanese pop culture, which, to be fair, is a problem with internet culture that isn't unique to any one country.
1: Right. There's a massive problem with social media being used to hurl negative comments at celebrities, or anyone, really, particularly women and minority groups. And 2020 has seen several prominent suicide cases emerge that were tied to abuse on social media in Japan including with the actors Yuko Takeuchi and Haruma Miura.
2: A draft plan to deal with the issue was proposed by a government panel in November, and one man may face charges for alleged cyberbullying over the Hanakimura incident. But you know what, Alyssa? In the meantime, that abuse is still going around. Did you see that Nike commercial that came out just a few weeks ago?
1: Yeah, that ad was beautiful. Tokidoki kangaeru It's the story of biracial Japanese kids at their schools overcoming bullying, both online and offline, to succeed in sports. The response from some quarters has been awful, though.
2: Yeah, it's sad to see.
1: Yeah. And Sean, it was sad how Terrace House ended. Its collapse just seemed to line up with what I was seeing going on around me at the time.
2: You had this cultural phenomenon that was also a reality show, and in many ways it couldn't do anything but reflect reality.
1: Yeah, I think it shows that the best laid plans of 2020, whether it's the Olympics or Terrace House or our own lives, none of them were any match for this pandemic. The show had pretended things were normal for as long as possible, as had the Japanese government in saying the Olympics would go ahead for as long as they did. But both were overwhelmed by the nature of the pandemic, the state of emergency, and the realization that, to protect lives, normal life must stop.
2: And that's where we'll leave today's episode. Join us tomorrow when we'll discuss how Japan started transforming as people began to get used to their new socially distanced lives.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode. We'll see you tomorrow. Episode 2 of Recultured, Isolate will be out tomorrow at 7 p.m. Japan time.
2: Thanks to all those who took the time to interview for this episode. Aya Nogami, Eric Margolis, Farah Hasnain, Kai Kobayashi, Lauren Rose Coker, Tom Hanaway, and Violetta Vivi-Polt.
1: This episode was written and edited by Patrick St. Michel and Oscar Boyd, with extra help from our intern, Tadasu Takahashi. It was produced by Oscar Boyd.
2: Recultured is hosted by Alyssa I. Smith and me, Sean McKenna. Our theme music was by 4L, whom the New York Times recently called The Sound of Tokyo. This episode was recorded at the Temple University Japan campus in Sanginjaya, Tokyo. Thanks to them for having us. See you tomorrow. Potsukaresama.
1: sama.